Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, my very special guest is a man of many talents. He served in the United States Navy Reserve, attaining the rank of commander. He was a state senator in Pennsylvania, where he authored the Managed Care Reform Act. He was an eight-term member of the United States House of Representatives, where his important bill, the Helping Families in Mental Health Crisis Act, passed by a vote of 422 to 2, in 2016. He's a PhD who earned his terminal degree at the University of Pittsburgh, where he was also an assistant professor in the School of Medicine, as well as the School of Public Health. And he is the founder and clinical director of Fortis Future. I'm very honored to welcome to the show, Dr. Tim Murphy. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Great to be with you. Well, thank you. In addition to all of those activities I mentioned, you're also an author. And today I want to talk with you about your book, The Christ Cure, as well as an article you recently wrote about how the border crisis has made our dysfunctional mental health system. But first, uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about Fortis Future? What is that venture? Sure. Fortis Future is a program that I started that treats uh, veterans and first responders with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, or other uh, issues related uh, to uh, their service. We, um, we do it as a nonprofit. And we also um, pair up with uh, a friend of mine who is a former Pittsburgh Steeler by the name of John Kolb, who puts people through the paces of physical exercise, exercise physiology, this isn't your uh, local gym where uh, people just work in machines, but really intensive workouts because we know that uh, body workouts help the brain work out too. So uh, we work that together and have people in outdoor adventures uh, and um, are excited about the work we do and enjoy helping to turn their lives around. We know that veterans are the first responders at much higher rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, unfortunately, and our goal is to save lives by working hard with them. That's outstanding. And I will say that's outstanding that uh, John Kolb is helping you, even though I am a lifelong Cowboys fan and the Steelers were my main nemesis <laughs> when I was first getting interested in football. That's all right. It's okay. We, we, it's a big world. We yes, can help sir. each other. And the thing about John Kolb is he's Oklahoma, so he's nearby. And he, um, and while he was in the Steelers, he also joined the Army National Guard because he felt it was un fair that here was our other Steeler by the name of Rocky Blyer gets drafted not by the Steelers and not just by the Steelers one year but also drafted by Uncle Sam he's serving in Vietnam and John God bless him he signs up for the Army National Guard so on weekends he's playing football he's also showing up for Army duty pretty amazing guy that is outstanding and I salute you John Culp uh, as well as you Dr. Murphy thank you for your service as well sure well, your new book uh, is really terrific, This uh, The Christ Cure. And listeners, uh, I'm going to say if, although it's almost a certainty that at some point you have experienced some sort of trauma or tragedy, maybe not all the way to cause PTSD, but uh, everyone experiences loss, uh, times of feeling down, maybe to the border of depression. Um, this book is for you or your loved ones who have gone through these things or are going through these things. And it is 
extraordinarily well presented. Uh, it's step by step by step, 10 steps uh, that go not only through your healing, but also through sustaining your healing, including step five, getting fit, whether or not you work out with John Kolb. Um, <laughs> so it's really extraordinary. And I encourage everybody to get a copy of it. I really wanted to, we won't have time, of course, Dr. Murphy to talk about uh, all of the steps, but one of them in particular, step number one was a particular interest to me, uh, build your own resilience. And you talked about a story uh, regarding uh, the parents of a young man named Jordan. You were working at, at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. And of course, you, you were working with many families. And you asked the parents, uh, how is Jordan? And they, and they said, he passed. Um, but the mother told you uh, this was the best thing because of what it did for our family. And you, you highlight how that is resilience. How did that affect you? Well, yeah, this is an amazing story. I remember um, knowing this young man, and I ran into his parents in a grocery store. Um, and, and this is under the, in the category of building resilience, and it takes real strength, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual strength to build us up for resilience in situations. What I was amazed about with his parents, they said that he had died a few months earlier. Uh, I started choke up and instead of it's so sorry, but the mother did say, don't feel bad. This, this was the best thing ever happened to us. I mean, they know he was going to die from his cancer, but they said they were closer than ever and they continue to be close because of him. And so I looked upon that as, you know, life is filled with disappointments and heartbreaks, but also times of incredible joy and beauty and love. And they, they managed to untangle the threads of despair and see out of it that they can bind together um, those uh, the love that they felt for him and the way they're handling their own lives. And it's going to carry them on. It, it gave them great emotional strength. Now, what's also important here is so many parents hover over kids like helicopter parents or bulldozer parents. They're like, you know, we have to save our children from all stress and trauma, any difficulty, so they're, they're never overwhelmed. And you look at even... Colleges, campus mental health centers all have, they're, they're busting at the scenes with counselors. Kids need you know, courses just to understand how to make it through their freshman year, uh, how to handle those things. Uh, but these are parents, as you know, we've been through the worst and we are better, not just despite it, but because of it. They could incorporate those in. So I look upon these things when we have these troubles in life. Think of our, our troubles, each one is like a thread in the rope. And the more we bind these things together and braid them together, the stronger this rope gets as we take our mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual strength, put them together, and look upon these troubling events as ways they can help us be stronger, try and understand how they can make us stronger. So it's an incredible inspirational story from this, folks. Yes, sir. And uh, as we look at resilience and the way that you uh, break this down in your book, The Christ Cure. I really appreciated how even within the 10 steps, you dive in and give more uh, steps or procedures to go through. And resilience is a great example there because you talk about how we need to choose strength that you were just mentioning, uh, that we need to choose discipline. 
as opposed to maybe disorganization. And we need to choose solitude, which is one I'm going to ask you about, uh, and humility and also goals over chaos. So regarding solitude, you make a distinction between solitude and isolation. And it's really important. I think you, you talk about how solitude is an opportunity to build resilience. Isolation undermines it. Could you dive deeper into that, sir? How can we understand what you mean about solitude and isolation? Sure. And look at this in particular for people who experience trauma. One of the symptoms that becomes post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder, we want to isolate from the world. We don't want to communicate. We don't want to be around people. We want to do things alone. And that itself can lead to pretty toxic things emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. We know, for example, in isolation, um, that solitude will, we will direct ourselves to do work. Isolation is self-inflicted. So solitude is self-directed, isolation is self-inflicted. What it brings upon us is loneliness. We, we break away from relationships with people. Loneliness actually in itself can have as much of a deleterious effect physically to us as cigarette smoking, uh, the way it affects the nervous system, the way it, it causes inflammation, uh, the way we're not around other people. I mean, look at what happened during the COVID um, pandemic when they shut everything down. Uh, we may also remember in our lives after 9-11 how the world transportation system shut down, but we could still interact. And be, within the concept of that trauma, we reached out to other people, we connected with people. Under COVID, with the constant barrage of, of messages on TV, uh, of pictures of, of um, makeshift more of the, the scary lessons, we were told, isolate, don't interact with anybody. I knew of a family that the uh, couple was, buried, was married for 50-some years. They were in their 80s. She developed, uh, she was getting uh, ill and worse, put into hospice. And the, and the husband said, can I just be with her during her final hours? They said, no, no, we're not allowed to have you in here. He said, I'm going to die soon anyways. Let me be with my wife. And they said, no, but we'll move her to a first floor window. You can sit outside and watch it through a window. Well, he died shortly after that, too, because the grief of the loneliness was awful. So what solitude is, it's a time that I say, um, ultimately, you can be totally alone and totally comfortable with the company you keep. Uh, solitude is when we do work. It's not just being alone. It's not just walking in the woods. not just sitting on a park bench. But we're really unafraid to think about our lives, to pray, to have a relationship with God, to, uh, to openly and honestly review who we are. Now, I also distinguish this from relaxation, meditation, mindfulness. Relaxation, hanging out with people, having a good time, not doing work, those things. Mindfulness is being fully aware of where you are in the moment. So if, you're, if you are in the woods, you're listening to the sounds of the wind, the birds, the crunch of the stones under your feet, just there in the moment, but you're not letting anxiety of the past or worries of the future enter in. And so you say, no, you don't belong here. I'm just being mindful in the moment. So it's wide. The other thing is meditation where we focus in on a moment where we go through muscle relaxation and breathing to calm our body and our brain down. And then by repeating a phrase, we're focusing on our attention and concentration on that. Now, a lot of us do bad meditation when we're, worried or thinking bad things about ourselves or hate ourselves or, or feeling we're a failure, we will meditate over and over and over on something that's chewing away at us, uh, like acid uh, in, a, in a, a vessel that we're drinking. Solitude is different. 
from this because uh, from meditation, because meditation that focuses on a thought, a positive affirmation of thought. Solitude is a conversation with ourselves. We're, we're, we're instructive. Now, I should say this. People who are struggling with post-traumatic stress have a very difficult time with solitude. They get scared. Because I can't do this. I, I don't want these evil thoughts coming into my mind. But it is something to work at and something to achieve because in resilience, it's a very important skill set to have. We spend most of our lives alone. Uh, most of our lives, um, whether it's asleep or driving or whatever, most of our lives alone. And rather than run away from that being alone, this is a skill set skill set that's very important to build and something that actually takes a lot of work and a lot of time to do it, but important in our resilience. Yes, sir. And as I'm hearing you say these things and, and what I picked up on reading the book, The Christ Cure, uh, it seems to me the word that comes to my mind also is balance. Uh, every good thing can become too much if it's too much. Would you agree with that, sir? Well, yeah, we have to see how things impact upon ourselves and always be weighing that, um, whether it's uh, sitting around too much alone, whether it's drinking too much, whatever it is. We want to put all these parts in our life. That's why on all of these aspects of resilience that you mentioned, strength versus weakness, discipline versus disorganized, solitude, isolation, humility versus hubris, and having goals versus chaos. We want to put them in the context of our mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual realms and judge each one in that. And we want to build up our strength in all those. So uh, our skill set. So when I ask people to rate themselves on strength versus weakness, 10 being strong and one being weak, I say, well, tell me about your physical strength. You know, do you work out? Are you healthy? Uh, do you do cardio work? A lot of people say, yeah, maybe I'm a five or six, you know, unless they're a superior athlete. Okay, but how about mental strength? How do you think your strength is in being able to handle challenges that life throws at you? And people say, maybe I'm a four, maybe I'm an eight. How about emotional? Well, a person who's really struggling emotionally may say, I'm a two or a three. A person who's confident and able to handle handle life may say, I'm a six or a seven. And spiritual, well, if they haven't paid attention to this at all, they may be a one or a two. If they're very, uh, if they have a strong spiritual and religious life, they may be a nine or ten. The thing about this is if some are very high and some are very low, it's hard to move forward uh, with part of it. It's like pushing a chain up a hill one link at a time. The more these, link, these, these links in the chain are together, the easier it is. So with building personal strength on all these levels, with building a self-discipline, with building humility, all those things work together to build this chain of resilience, which is going to give us more strength as we fight forward. And yes, that balance is part of it. Very good. Very good. Well, a question came to mind as you were talking about some of our response during the pandemic. And uh, my own personal observation and opinion is that there were a lot of lessons that we should learn because some of our response was pretty wrong from my point of view. And it had some to do with isolating people. Uh, And I remember the most tragic picture I saw during that time was folks at a nursing facility, uh, you know, resident care, uh, holding up signs that they had scribbled out on paper or poster board saying, we would rather die of COVID than of loneliness. And it was just tragic. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask you, sir, do you think that we are learning and have learned proper lessons from our response? I don't know yet. Um, what, what happened here was when the government 
the CDC and other branches of the government began to say we need to isolate from this. There was a couple of things. One, I know um, from my, my time in Congress and working, in fact, having had some of these people in front of my committee and in investigations, there were very few laws in science, very few laws. Um, a law of gravity might be there, but when it comes to virus and their behavior, these are our best educated guesses. And when we let emotions get involved with those, we make some guesses that are no longer educated. They are now they're influenced by emotions. And that can be a big problem. So what, what happens is that uh, people were paying attention only to the threats of the virus as an organism and not to the threats of our response to it. Uh, and that response being that it's, uh, extreme isolation, the extreme shutdown and what it caused for stresses in people itself had a negative effect. We call that iatrogenic. And that is the treatment itself causes problems. And in most cases, the treatment itself caused more problems than the virus. Cause we know most people, if they got sick, they managed it well. Um, those who had other secondary issues such as age or lung problems, et cetera, there's the ones who had difficulty and if hospitals are overwhelmed, they had trouble handling. But uh, where, where we go with this is understand that since then, and during that time and since then, we've had a doubling of rates of depression, doubling of rates of anxiety, big increases in suicide attempts and suicide rates. Now suicide, the number two killer of adolescents and young adults, big increases in drug overdoses and drug overdose deaths. And when you add these things together in terms of how many suffered from that and how many continue to suffer from depression, anxiety related to that, it's pretty staggering. So although COVID has left us for a while now, the lingering effects of how we manage that are still very much among us. And I would hope that if ever the government thinks of doing something like this again, they will... Um, not go at this in terms of shutting everything down and shutting everybody off. We could have done with some restrictions, but now we realize a lot of those were serious problems. Yes, indeed. And uh, I think even I saw last week that the Food and Drug Administration now recommends, as far as the messenger RNA, one and only one shot maximum and no boosters. So I'm thinking that's a little late. So some of these lessons yeah. come maybe a little late. Well, listeners, we're talking with Dr. Tim Murphy, the author of The Christ Cure, and we've just whetted your appetite about that book. We're going to shift gears in a moment to talk about an article he recently wrote. But uh, we were talking about resilience. I want to let you know that uh, you need to get the book and just think about some of these other steps to healing. Uh, he talks about arming your resistance, embracing your recovery, and accepting your renewal. I hope that that will spur your interest in this book, The Christ Cure. You're going to have to read to find out what those are about. I promise you they are rewarding. Um, one final thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. Murphy, uh, based on something mm -hmm. you said about parents uh, hovering and maybe we're trying to make everything safe. Uh, what is your take on safe spaces in college campuses where I don't have to hear anything I don't already believe? Um. Life is tough. Life is not fair. Uh, and what we're doing is we are making it so people have less of an ability to learn skill sets. I, I, rem I remember talking with um, a friend of mine, his uh, daughter and some friends, they just graduated from college and they were talking about what they're going to do next. 
let's carry on a conversation with them. And I asked one of them, oh, so tell me what your major was. And she said, well, that's a microaggression. I said, excuse me, that's a common question you ask someone. What was your major? She says, what does it matter what my major is? I said, I'm sorry, I was just trying to make conversation. And she says, well, you, uh, you should have asked me first if you could ask me questions. And it was so absurd. Um, I just said, you know what, forget that I asked. And I thought, what a, what a shame this person was still so troubled by someone inquiring they took everything as a threat. The safe spaces, uh, we've, we've lowered uh, our expectations of people tolerating things in their lives, uh, such that the tiniest thing gets people upset and they fall apart. People are calling trauma what is not trauma. Trauma is an overwhelming event to us emotionally, uh, a life-threatening event or something we witness or see ourselves as someone else. I'm amazed the number of people said, well, I have PTSD from this experience that. I said, well, tell me what your trauma was. Um, I, I worry about that, that what we've done for the high school and, and uh, um, college students and young adults where they feel they can't handle things. But, you know, it doesn't work that way. In our country, we are doing so much to uh, prevent people from facing stress, we're going to be unable to handle stress. Uh, whereas in other countries in school, they emphasize science and, uh, and math so that those other nations can do well. Um, that's, I worry about that. I think that I mean, if I can expand this, it's one of the reasons I think that sometimes our military is struggling with getting recruits is when I talk to young people saying, what do you think about joining the military? What do you think about joining the police force? Things like that says, no, I don't want to do that because I don't, I don't think I can handle the stress. And some other ones will say, I don't want to do that because they've lowered their standards so much that I'm not sure I want to be there. I want to be a place that teaches me I'm part of something bigger than me. I will get tougher. I will learn how to handle difficulties in life. Not a place that keeps lowering the bar. So I, I say I think these are um, not a good thing for, for students. We, we could be doing things to support students, to help them through their difficulties. I'm all for that. But the idea that some places where you have to run to that no one's going to say a word to you, um, the long-term implications of that I really worry about. Amen to that, sir. All right. Well, uh, finally, Dr. Tim Murphy, I want to ask you about this uh, blog post article that you recently wrote at drtimmurphy.com. Listeners, you can check this out uh, online as well about the border crisis and how it's affected our mental health system. Could you explain a little bit about the relationship between the border crisis and our mental health system? Yeah, well, first of all, our um, mental health system is already dysfunctional. Um, long before COVID, uh, we didn't have enough psychiatrists and psychologists in our country um, to handle what was going on. We have a I think half the counties in America do not have a child psychiatrist. The reason that's important is because serious mental disturbances such as schizophrenia and bipolar illness that affects one or two percent of the population. Um, those about half the cases emerge by age 14 and about 75 percent by age uh, 24. What's critically important is getting treatment early, but people have a hard time getting treatment. Even so, about half the people with those illnesses, which are brain diseases, will not get help, in part because they refuse help, because they don't realize they have an illness. Add to that also other issues of anxiety and depression out there. There's not enough people trained to handle these things. With COVID, we had an, an even larger demand. Um, I must Every day I must get a request for me to, uh, an offer for a job somewhere because there is a shortage. And now even having people with a bachelor's, just a college degree, being trained to be counselors, and I don't think that's enough. I think people need a lot more advanced training. So this is the background. Now, add to this, 
Since 2020, there's been about 5.8 million encounters on our southern border. Those are the documented encounters. Those are not the ones of people who have um, snuck across and no one knows it. Uh, and that federal agencies, such as the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, as well as other research, uh, points out that the incidence of trauma is very high, between 25 and 80 percent for immigrants. Uh, as the people come from their country of origin, maybe they've grown up among violence, poverty, uh, drug uh, lords, uh, addiction themselves. They travel through Mexico uh, and other people coming in from around the world travel through Mexico. Maybe all their life savings has been taken away by a coyote or by a, uh, one of the, the, the drug uh, groups that are working them through. And many of the children and women have been assaulted, especially sexually assaulted among women and children. So what happens is research tells us that undocumented immigrants who have these higher rates of, of assault, et cetera, have higher rates of depression, anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, drug abuse, and suicide. So we're flooding our nation with people with more problems, dropping them off in cities around the country that already are overwhelmed with homelessness. We're not taking care of the people that need it. Perhaps as much as half of those who are homeless have a mental health disorder. Um, there's a lot of people who say, well, let's not make them get treatment. But I'm saying a lot of them aren't aware they need treatment. They're so seriously disturbed. So what happens? They create a crime. They throw them in jail. Uh, and some of these folks are, oh, good, at least I have a, a warm place to sleep and three meals a day. But if they're seriously mentally ill, they may get involved in violent behavior. Now they're put in solitary confinement. This whole thing becomes a hot mess. And then we send to cities thousands and thousands more to various cities that already can't handle it. So the system is broken. The system can't handle it. We put more people in there. And, and quite frankly, what we ought to be saying is what can we do for our own citizens, our own people to help them with their problems? Rather than bringing in more, look, our, our hearts go out to them. I get it. I understand that. But if we're causing more suffering and more delays among our population, we're causing more harm than good. And that is itself a, a moral challenge that we need to be facing that, not turning our, our eyes away from that. Uh, in, in, um, in the Bible, you know, a lot of my book references the Bible. There's a saying where, uh, where the Lord says, um, hey, the king's going to say when uh, – if you uh, ignore those imprisoned and don't clothe the, the, the naked and don't feed the hungry, what you do to least of my brothers, you do to me. And people say, well, when did I do that? He says, every time you walk by someone. Well, we're creating a situation like that where we can't handle it. The charitable organizations in our country are overwhelmed. And people, when they come across the border, they may be screened by you know, Border Patrol that says, are you okay? Do you have any psychological disorders? Do you have depression, anxiety? They're never going to say yes. They're not going to say that because they will be delayed. So even those who come through with problems aren't going to say it. And again, it's cruel to those coming over. It's cruel to those who are here already. There's a lot of wisdom in that and a lot of things that need action. And uh, I don't watch a lot of news, but I can see and sense that uh, a lot of our friends where I used to work in D.C. are not interested in some of those necessary actions. Well, listeners, we've been talking with Dr. Tim Murphy. Uh, the book is The Christ Cure, highest possible recommendation. The website, you can find out more uh, and read more from Dr. Tim Murphy is drtimmurphy.com. Uh, as you can tell, listening, he has a lot of wisdom to share. And I can tell you, uh, when you read his book, The Christ Cure, you're going to discover right away uh, he is the kind of person that you want to communicate with through 
reading what he has said. He makes himself very vulnerable. He is very real. Uh, you will know that he believes what he's telling you and has a good intention behind it. And that's very valuable. So thank you very much, Dr. Tim Murphy. Sure. Can I just mention one other thing about the book? Because even if people themselves are not feeling that they've been traumatized, I say this is a book for the broken and those who love them. And so you may know someone and who doesn't want to get help. Read the book anyways, and it'll give you ideas, of concrete ideas of what to do to help them. Please don't wait. People need help. Uh, they can they can get better. This is a book that was painful for me to write, but a very hopeful book for you to read. Uh, so please look it up and at your favorite bookstore, wherever else, The Christ Cure. I'd be grateful for that. Um, grateful because we're saving lives. And I also Thank use you. some of my meager earnings from this to go back to the programs I work with as veterans. So that's helpful too. Thank you so much, sir, and have a blessed day. Thank you. Bye, well. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.